The U.S. Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov career USBP. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger. Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan. Nick Stevens might be joining us a little bit later on in this episode. And we've got a lot to get into tonight, including the end of the Bowie Bay Sox season and this move up to AAA for Connor Norby after his dominant run in Bowie. In addition, we'll talk about the Aberdeen Ironbirds and their ongoing South Atlantic League Championship Series against the Bowling Green Hot Rods and the Orioles prospects that are heading to the Arizona Fall League uh, next month. So we'll get into that, but I'm going to turn it over to Bob first to promote a special event we have coming up next month. Yeah, if you're in the area and want to come hang out with us live, watch the final Orioles game of the season, and then watch a live episode, maybe ask us some questions and maybe a couple of special guests some questions as well, head out to Full Tilt, Full, Full Tilt Brewery. Let me get that out uh, cleanly. You know, I can't remember exactly where they're located, but it's in the Towson, Baltimore area. So Google them. It's a great place. Zach's been there. He can attest, and I'm excited to go there for the first time myself and uh, have some fun that day. Yep. 50, uh, 5604 York Road, right by York and Bologna. So if you live in Baltimore County, especially around Towson, just south of the city line, if you're in Baltimore City, come on up to Homeland slash Govins, uh, depending on which neighborhood you want to give that uh, space to and hang out with us that night. So we'll start with the Bowie Bay Sox, who had quite a roller coaster September that ended unfortunately with them on the outside looking in of the Eastern League playoffs after they lost back-to-back games at Akron over the weekend. On Sunday, the Bay Sox were in a situation where if the Erie Seawolves lost and the Bay Sox won, 
the Bay Sox would advance to the playoffs. Erie lost on Sunday afternoon at Richmond, which was followed by the Bay Sox losing at Akron by a final of eight to five, despite getting off to an early lead in that game. Uh, disappointing end, I'm sure, for those players because they really rallied strong and were one of the best teams in the Eastern League in the second half of this season after an up-and-down first half. But, Bob, still, I think, top to bottom, this was a good season for the Bay Sox. Oh, yeah, for sure, especially considering, you know, they had some disappointments in the first half of the season. You know, Zach Watson, unfortunately, not able to, you know, continue the season that he had last year in Bowie. Actually, he has performed pretty well or had performed pretty well since he came back from the development list. But, you know, once they got that influx of talent from Aberdeen, they really played extremely well. And yeah, they fought right down to the wire. I can't complain. And I really thought they were going to pull it off on Sunday because they had a three nothing lead after the top of the first Cade Povich, one of our best pitching prospects newly acquired in trade from uh, the twins in the Jorge Lopez trade on the Hill. And, Unfortunately, he got lit up a little bit and they weren't able to make it happen. But, you know, they fought back even in that game to make it six to five, but just couldn't pull it off. But hats off to those guys. They had a great season and it was nice to see uh, Connor Norby continue that with, in AAA. Yeah, and a real credit to Colin Moore, the Bay Sox manager and his coaching staff for seeing a lot of the turnover and really helping to guide some of the players that got off the slow starts at Bowie this year or had really bad stretches like Joey Ortiz and Garrett Stallings, get a lot better as the season went on. So on top of those players coming up from Aberdeen, like Colton Cows or Connor Norby and Kobe Mayo, they saw an improvement in the players that were there and had struggled early on. And we're going to take a deeper dive into the Bay Sox season next week when longtime Bay Sox, Adam, Bay Sox broadcaster Adam Pohl joins us. This is actually going to be Adam's first time on the show. And he'll join us to talk about some of the prospects that were through there this year and the season that the Bay Sox had. So we look forward to having him on next week and diving a little bit deeper into Bowie's season. But we're going to transition now to the biggest promotion of this week, and that was Connor Norby to AAA Norfolk. Norby tore the cover off the ball for Bowie after being promoted there earlier this summer. And despite not playing for the full season for the team, he ended up leading the Bay Sox with 17 home runs. Uh, the, the question mark coming into this season was would Connor Norby hit for power? And he has hit for power. He's been one of the best power hitters in the Orioles minor league system. That earned him a promotion to AAA Norfolk, where not really a surprise, he hit a home run in his first at bat tonight uh, down in Durham with the Tides taking on the Durham Bulls. So, Bob, I want to get your thoughts on this, because for me, like I, the numbers that Norby put up at Bowie were unquestionably deserving of a promotion to AAA. I just questioned with so little time left in the season, about eight or nine games at Norfolk, if the Orioles would bother to send him up or just decide, you know, he's had a great year, let's finish it here. And then they promoted him, and it's great to see because he's now going to have that opportunity to have the trial run of sorts at AAA. Yeah, completely agree with you there. Like, I think it just goes to show how high they are on his hitting ability because – yeah, you could have easily shut it down and said, hey, hell of a season, hell, especially once you got to double-A Bowie. You know, fantastic. Now just, you know, sit on that, let that digest, go into the offseason with a plan on what to do, and then start next year in AAA. But I, I love the move. Get him that taste. You know, they did it last year with Patrick Dorian and Caden Grenier, obviously lower-level prospects. But 
it's just cool to get that taste. And let's not forget that Norby is a guy that people were surprised when he was promoted from Aberdeen when he was batting 237 with the 736 OPS. But the metrics were great. We talked about that at the time where he was hitting the ball hard, hitting some bad luck. He was doing things that the team wanted to see him do. He did that and just kept that confidence going. And at Delmarva, oh, geez, Delmarva, <laughs> at Double uh, A Bowie, he hit 298 with a 960 OPS, like you said, 17 more home runs. So he's just continued to stay with the program that the Orioles have instituted, hit the ball hard in the air, over the wall. And it was awesome to see him continue that in the first inning. I think uh, Matt Sabados had tweeted out like a week or two ago that he leads all of minor league baseball with first inning home runs. And uh, that continued tonight. And Norby with his home run on Tuesday night included. And mind you, that game is still in progress. So there is time for him to add another before Tuesday night ends. But with Tuesday's home run included, he has 26 on the year between three teams with 17 of those coming in Bowie. And, you know, it, it kind of made sense that you saw the power tick up a little bit when we when he went to Bowie because if we talk about a lot, Aberdeen is not necessarily a home run hitter's park. But in every facet of the game, Norby got better when he went to Bowie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and what I like about the first inning home run stat, even if it seems kind of like, you know, just, yeah, of course, he's going to have first inning home runs because he's batting lead off a lot of the time. But to me, it just shows that he's he's looking at the pitchers that are against him and he's game planning and he's he's picking his pitch and he's swinging hard when he gets it and, and sending it a long way. But yeah. Just love to see the improvement. Obviously, the guy could hit, as Vivek says in the chat. He was the NCAA leader in 2021 in hits in college baseball. But, you know, that was never in question, the hit tool. But the power came along great. Um, even he was hitting a bunch of doubles, too. It wasn't just the home runs. He had, let's see, 14 doubles in AA, 7 in high A. So 21 doubles to go with the 26 homers. He also had, let's see, four triples. and let's not forget 16 stolen bases. So actually a little bit of speed mixed in there as well. If he can play second base at a solid rate whatsoever, I think that bat is going to be more than capable to be an every, everyday guy there. I'm Jonathan Scope ask as far as power and in defense at second base. So yeah, very exciting development. This is a guy that was steadily in our, what, 10 to 15 range for the most of the time. And now he's he's creeping up into that top 10 for sure. Yeah, he's steadily been 10 to 15 um, since he joined the Orioles system after the 2021 draft for us. And I think you're definitely going to see him move up in our pre-2023 rankings. It, with Norby out of ECU, the book on him was, you know, good contact hitter, but doesn't offer a lot in the way of defensive versatility. So it's a matter of whether or not he's going to hit enough to be an everyday second baseman. I would argue that the bar there is not, set terribly high that if you're looking at a guy that could hit 20, 25 home runs a season, which I think Norby is capable of doing as a solid defender at the position, that's a pretty good player. Uh, you don't have to hit 35 home runs to be a good offensive second baseman. And a point I'll make too, is that while we don't have a lot of the batted ball and distance data that you have the stat cast at the major league level, when you watch Norby hit, those are not cheap home runs. He hits the ball hard, so I don't think he's going to have a lot of problems with that left field wall of Camden Yards. 
Yeah, I was going to make the same point. Like he does not hit cheapies, at least the ones that I've seen live. I I think I saw him hit a couple home runs live at Aberdeen. One was just like would have been well over the wall in left field at Camden Yards. But he also tends to have that power carry into left center and right center too. It's not like he's a dead pull hitter when it comes to the power display. So yeah, I do think he could hit 20, 25 home runs a year at the major league level. As long as the development continues, then I see no reason to doubt it because seems like a guy that just works really hard. I know he's he's like uh, roommates with Kobe Mayo, and it's been awesome to just see their development together as as they've gone up the ladder. And and I think you know not to switch gears and talk about Mayo too much, but I'm just super excited to see what he can do in 2023 and uh, see that year 20 year old season to 21 year old season like we saw with Gunnar Henderson. If uh, we could see some similarities with Mayo, but yeah, Norby. Just what a season. Maybe, you know, if it wasn't for Gunnar Henderson, definitely a competitor for just player of the year in the minor leagues for the Orioles. Yeah, and I'll circle back to Mayo in a minute because I think that is actually an interesting observation and something we could probably talk about before we have a more in-depth conversation next week. But I wanted to go back to a topic that I know is brought up a lot among our listeners is how you compare the second base prospects in the Orioles farm system. And Norby, for the most part, has always kind of been grouped with Taron Vavra and Cesar Prieto. Uh, Vavra now, obviously, to make the leagues. Prieto just finished a solid professional debut season. Is heading to the Arizona Fall League, which we're going to talk about later on in this show. And while I like Vavra and Prieto a lot, I thought Norby had the highest ceiling of the group coming into this season. I think he has clearly separated himself with the year that he has had. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely distilled to me that you can see Norby has the highest ceiling and it seems like he's starting to reach that ceiling already. And Vavra seems like, like we said, at least a utility player, a valuable utility player that can hit at the major league level, get on base, have solid at bats. We've seen that. I would hope that he would be getting more playing time, but unfortunately with the Orioles being in a playoff chase, Hyde has been leaning on, on the veterans a little bit more. So, but we'll see. Um, And Prieto, yeah, I still like what he can offer the team. He clearly has a hit tool. There's no problem. Bat to ball. He's not really striking out. The power he showed off in Aberdeen kind of disappeared. I wonder, you know, I've heard that players can lose like 15 pounds over the course of a season. Maybe that added muscle he added early in the season kind of wore out as, you know, just the grind of the season went on and the power kind of dissipated a little bit. But if he can, you know, get some more sustained muscle on his frame and hit the ball in the air a little bit more, maybe you see that come back. But yeah, I do think it's a pretty clear one, two, three of Norby one, Vavra two, Prieto three right now. Going back to Kobe Mayo, I thought that he had an excellent finish to the season. When you consider everything he went through after he got to Bowie, having the back injury, and I'll just put into context of the amount of time that Mayo missed at double A. He was promoted the same time as Connor Norby and Colton Kalzer. Uh Kalzer was obviously promoted to AAA before the season ended. Norby and Mayo were in Bowie through Sunday, and Norby appeared in 30 more games than Mayo did. So Mayo did lose a good chunk of time as that injury, yet rallied, and as a 20-year-old at AA level, five homers, 145 plate appearances, with a 729 OPS. And this is a guy who is doing this when just a year ago he was in Delmarva, having only played half a season between the FCL and the Shorebirds. And you heard Sam Zelnick talk on this show last week that there were some questions about whether Mayo would actually start 
the 2022 season back in Delmarva, despite a solid performance there. Yet he hit really well both at high A and double A this year. And I think that he has already broken out in a lot of ways, but you could see where that potential for him to have that big spike that Gunnar Henderson had this year, something resembling that is possible for Mayo next year. Yeah, easily. I mean, it's so easy to forget how young he is. He's still only 20 years old until December, I think. So, yeah, I mean, he could have started back in low A Delmarva. They put him in high A. And just like we talked about with Norby, with the the numbers at high A, he batted 251 with an 820 OPS, which doesn't sound amazing. But again, the metrics were much more supportive that he was having a breakout season than the raw numbers in a difficult park to hit in suggest. And then of course, as soon as he gets promoted up to double A to try to show that off, suffers a bit of a back injury, nothing serious, but it just put him on the sideline for a bit and, you know, had to work back into shape from there. He really was turning it on the last week or two of the regular season for them ended up batting 250 with the 729 OPS with five home runs and four doubles. But I think he's going to have a ton of great data and just stuff to build on going into next year. He'll probably go back to double A to start. And uh, yeah, with these guys can mature and build muscle and strength pretty quickly and learn fast at a young age. And he's a hard worker. I know that for a fact. So he's going to put in the work and there's a very good possibility that he's just a monster next year. Yeah, completely agree. And we'll move on now to Norby and Mayo's old team, the Aberdeen Ironbirds, who are in the South Atlantic League Championship Series against the Bowling Green Hot Rods. Just to give a quick recap of what happened last week when we were off the air, Aberdeen lost game one of the Northern Division Championship Series to the Brooklyn Cyclones, only to win back-to-back games at Aberdeen Thursday and Friday of last week, which put them in the league championship against Bowling Green. They lost on Sunday, but have come back in a big way here on Tuesday night as they currently lead 9-3 to in the bottom of the sixth inning. Gene Pinto delivers an excellent start, five and two-thirds, one run allowed, or three runs allowed on three hits, only one earned run with four strikeouts against a walk. Dylan Beavers had a monster home run. Heston Kerstad continued what has been a pretty good September for him by hitting a triple. This game is not over yet, and Aberdeen already has nine runs on nine hits. So, Bob, you know, Aberdeen has had a great season despite a lot of turnover. We've talked about that quite a bit. Their pitching staff has really been a consistent strength for them, but they've had the reinforcements with guys like Judd Fabian and Dylan Beavers that have come through for them down the stretch. So we're not going to be, in all likelihood, if Aberdeen wins tonight, we're not going to be on the air between now and next Monday. So by next week, so we should know what happens in the championship series. But regardless, you have to feel like this has been a great season for them. Yeah, fantastic season. And what do you know? They had an amazing first half when they had all these guys that did well with Bowie in the second half, which uh, is not exactly surprising. But they did have those reinforcements come up, like you talked about, from the from the draft class and guys that perform well in Delmarva, like Fabian and Beavers and Max Wagner even even though he didn't have as much time or as much success in limited time. But yeah, and the pitching, just fantastic all year. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that Carlos Tavera didn't get more time on the mound, but you saw a really, you know, solid season from Gene Pinto for a guy his age. And 
first full season. I thought he did a really good job. Ignacio Feliz, a bit of a breakout. Peter Van Loon, Houston Roth, Connor Gillespie, just steady guys. And Justin Armbruster and Noah Denoyer, who started the season in high A and ended up being fantastic up in double A as well. So great season, win or loss in this you know championship. Would love to see him take it all, but either way, great year. Yeah, absolutely. And Van Loon has had, I think, what you could consider a breakout year. 16th round pick out of UC Irvine last year. He was a guy that we liked based on some video we saw of him after he got to Delmarva last year. But he has been one of the more reliable pitchers in the Orioles system this year to the point where in a newsletter piece recently, John Mioli identified him as one of the possible candidates, one of the strongest candidates for pitcher of the year in the Orioles farm system. I have to say, I agree. And, you know, Van Loon came through as a big start in the postseason against Brooklyn that helped Aberdeen advance beyond that series. But 97 strikeouts and 88 and two-thirds innings pits at 3-2-5 ERA. Truly been one of the more steady pitchers for Aberdeen this year. Yeah, big, tall right-hander. So he he fits the mold, hoppy fastball, you know, in the mid-90s. So I think this is a guy that really, he started off hot. We talked about him a lot. And then he kind of just settled in and had a really good year overall. I think this is a guy that, once he gets to Bowie next year, and if he keeps pitching the way he is now, he's really going to get on the radar. And I just feel like there's a lot of guys like that that uh, that pitched in this Aberdeen rotation and even bullpen this year. So, yeah, the cupboard, it might not be as loaded with high-profile names, but these guys can pitch, and this team has shown they know how to develop these guys as well. Yeah, I completely agree. And you even look at some of the success stories where – you have a guy like Ignacio Feliz who walks a lot of batters. We know that that is a problem for him. But 135 strikeouts in 92 and two-thirds innings. And there were nights where he was largely unhittable, especially early in the year. So you could go on and on with his Aberdeen pitching staff and what they contributed this year. Yeah, I mean, 135 strikeouts. He might ultimately end up being a bullpen arm, but still a guy that can strike out batters like that is pretty valuable. Carlos Tavera previously mentioned he struck out 81 in 57 innings. So get him healthy, get him up to double A to start next year. And I think he's another guy that can break out. Pinto had 98 strikeouts over 91 innings. Everyone had more strikeouts and in innings. It seems like just looking at these numbers. So that's a great sign of success. And uh, I don't see why I couldn't continue as uh, guys like Denoyer and Armbruster and, even Povich and McDermott, even though they had their struggles, they showed the similar capabilities to continue it up the ladder. So I see no reason why we couldn't expect that for at least most of these guys as well. Yeah, and I, one guy I want to mention because I think he was so instrumental to especially Aberdeen's success this year. We saw him a little bit at the end with Bowie, and that's Daryl Hernays. Um, Hernays was one of Delmarva's best players in the time that he was there this year. We've talked about that a lot, but then he actually went to Aberdeen and was a little bit better than he was at Delmarva. And at 20 years old to do what Hernandez did this year between three levels was really impressive. And I could see him as another one of those guys that has a big rise in his prospect stock next year after a big jump this year. Yeah, he's another one in that Kobe Mayo mold of, you know, still super young, uh, just turned 21 in August. So, you know, had a value, like invaluable, just incredible experience this year. Showed the improvement in power from last year when he had success at low A. Came back, 
you know, improved pretty much across the board at every level. And then even more impressively in the tough place to hit that is Lido's field in Aberdeen hits 305 with an 832 OPS, five home runs, 13 doubles, three triples, and steals a bunch of bases as well. 22 when he was with Aberdeen. It's just uh, incredible to see that development. And I want to say, you know, he struggled quite a bit in double A in limited time, but still kind of just like Gunnar Henderson last year, you know, he didn't exactly light the world on fire outside of, you know, a home run and maybe some success in their playoffs. Just a great experience to be able to be like, okay, now I know what I'm facing to start next year. And hopefully he can, you know, make the same improvement in double A the way he did in low A this past season. Yeah, and there's kind of a transition point between our segments now with Aberdeen and the Arizona Fall League, which was the announcement of players going there was one of the big stories from last week. Uh, we'll just start with Heston Kerstad, who is going the Arizona Fall League. And this fits the mold in my mind of the ideal Arizona Fall League selection. A guy who is a top prospect uh, should be able to face older competition, you know, and at least get the, you know, put up quality at bats. But he has missed a lot of time, obviously, with his injury, myocarditis last year, and then a hamstring injury that kept him off the field for a while to start this season. So as a result, um, if Aberdeen makes a full run through the postseason, he'll have had just 71 games between Delmarva and Aberdeen, postseason included. So the Arizona Fall League is a good experience for him, but I think the timing is about right because he has been hitting a little bit better at Aberdeen in the month of September. Carry that over into the playoffs a little bit. So, Bob, you know, you don't want to, and we're going to talk about this, I think, quite a bit tonight, which is you don't want to put a ton of weight in the Arizona Fall League stats, and we'll kind of get into where you should separate some things. But you have to feel like there's some positive momentum for Kerstad heading to Arizona right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's It was the no-brainer pick. I mean, obviously, it would have been fine if they thought, you know, okay, he, he at least he came back, he got in game action, played two levels, you know, maybe he's wearing down, which would be perfectly fine and expected considering the time he missed and the reasons why he missed it. But, you know, as long as he was healthy, it seemed like the perfect opportunity to get him some great experience, some more at-bats, just get more comfortable playing in-game action and against really good competition that he's going to face in the Arizona Fall League. So I feel like, you know, it's it's going to be fun to track him at that league and a great experience. And if he performs well there, I see no reason why he couldn't start 2023 in AA in their outfield. And then, you know, from there, he's a solid couple months from AAA, et cetera, et cetera. So really could put himself in a great position but just the fact that he came back, he had a great season with Delmarva before getting up to Aberdeen, struggled, you know, for sure, and had his moments where he got pulled from a game for slamming his bat. We all we know that, but it seemed like he responded well. You know, he didn't like pout and, you know, see, didn't see any more evidence of, of that kind of stuff. Seemed like he, he got the message and he performed well from that date on. I feel like I think that's probably when he started to turn things around, if maybe we look back at that, but... As you said, he's gotten better as this, as the uh, September has rolled on, so maybe he's he's not that tired after all, and hopefully he can continue it in the AFL. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm pulling it up right now. So you mentioned that was in Hudson Valley at the in the middle of August um, when Curse was pulled from the game, ground ball, grounded into a double play, 
slammed his bat and was slow to get out of the box initially. He did run the ball out, but was pulled after that. Since that game, uh, 25 games, 107 plate appearances. This includes only the regular season. He's hit 274 with a 746 OPS. So actually, a correction there, that does include the postseason. Oh. So when you factor in everything he's done in September, he's definitely hit much better since that point. Yeah, that's good to see. Yeah, and overall in the month of September for him has definitely been a lot better. An OPS of 767, a home run with a 277 average. And I, I actually got a chance to see him play last Thursday. I went up to Aberdeen for game one of that series, and he hits the ball hard. Uh, there's no questioning the power and the strength that he brings. So I think the time the Arizona Fall League against more advanced pitching than he would have faced at either level this year is a chance for him to know this is what I have to work on next year if I'm going to get to Bowie and be successful. These are the better breaking balls. These are probably some of the best fastballs in all of minor league baseball. You know, so better stuff than certainly what he saw at Del Marva and probably than what he saw at Aberdeen, that's what he's going to need a tune-up for to get ready for next year. So I think that exposure is good for him. Yeah, and at least it's a good hitting environment in Arizona. So, you know, that can kind of offset it a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I expect him to perform well. I think he's going to come up big in that spot, but we shall see. Yeah, absolutely. And just to give some background on the Arizona Fall League and how things are going to unfold this season – Uh, As is usual, the Orioles will have prospects on a team that has players from several other organizations. In this case, the Orioles' prospects this year will be on the Scottsdale Scorpions, and they'll be joined by players from the Atlanta Braves, Boston Red Sox, Los Angeles Angels, and San Francisco Giants systems. And the Orioles' representatives in the Arizona Fall League, in addition to Heston Kurtzstad, are pitchers Noah DeNoyer, Nolan Hoffman, and Nick Richmond, infielder Cesar Prieto, and outfielder Reed Trimble. All of these guys have very different profiles, which we're going to talk about tonight. But I'll start with DeNoyer, who has been one of the true breakout prospects of this season, and another guy that right with Peter Van Loon, Justin Armbruster, Drew Rahm, uh, making a very strong case for pitcher of the year in the Orioles organization this season. 71 and two-thirds innings across three levels. He has struck out 99 batters and walked just 17 289 ERA. He has shown the ability to pump the fastball up in the mid to high 90s, paired that with good breaking stuff, and has been successful both in starter roles and as well as multi-inning relief roles for the Orioles this season. So the Neuer certainly earned this assignment to the Arizona Fall League, and it also comes at a key point for him as he is Rule 5 eligible for the first time this offseason. So you know, I don't know how much stock the Orioles are going to put into it. As we saw with Logan Gillespie last year, the baseline stats at the Arizona Fall League don't necessarily coordinate, uh, correlate with uh, your chances of being placed on the 40-man roster. But have to feel pretty confident that DeNoyer is at least a really strong candidate to be added to the 40-man this offseason. I, uh, I honestly think he's already a lock. I just I think, you know, he did miss some time with that you know, non-serious arm issue that he missed some time with. And uh, I feel like this is more about just getting him innings and getting him ramped up at least enough to have a full 2023 in the minor leagues. But I think this is going to be like the Nick Vespi of this 
of this AFL where teams are going to be drooling at the opportunity to select him in the Rule 5 draft. And I, I do believe they will they will protect him from that in the in the 40-man. I think his curveball is incredibly nasty. He throws in the mid-90s. I, I really think this guy is going to shock a lot of scouts out there and uh, be a weapon for the Orioles in the next couple of years. Yeah, I completely agree. He's a guy right now that I think you could pencil into Norfolk's pitching staff next year, whether it's in a starter role or a relief role. And with that fastball-curveball combination, that would play really well out of the bullpen. I would like to see the Orioles continue to stretch him out because I think even if you have eyes on him as a multi-inning reliever, it's important for him to be in that role at Norfolk. But he's got the kind of stuff where there's some versatility into what kind of role he could play as a pitcher at the major league level. Yeah, he could easily be, you know, I know we've said this a few times about a few different guys about that Keegan Aiken role where you're, you know, you can come in and get an inning, two innings, three innings at a time. And if you have an injury or you need a starter, a spot starter, he can easily fill that role at the major leagues. But yeah, I think I would prefer him come into next year and starting every fifth day can, can always fill in a spot at the major league level when, when and where needed. But yeah, I think he has a chance to be a back end of the rotation starter, but Bare minimum, I think he will be a very valuable reliever. We'll move down the list now to Nolan Hoffman, who was one of the more interesting relief arms coming into this season. He was selected in the minor league phase of last year's Rule 5 draft from out of the Seattle Mariners system and started out in Bowie's bullpen. And unfortunately, because of injury, we didn't get to see much of him this year. Just 27 in the third innings. The bulk of that coming at Bowie where he was fairly effective. 23 and a third frame struck out 22 batters, a 4-2-4 ERA. And just to give a sense of how long he was out, he was placed on the IL at Bowie back on May 31st and did not make his did not get sent to the FCL for a rehab assignment until August 12th. So Hoffman missed most of the summer, but was fairly effective when he was on the mound. Yeah, I, I saw him live. I thought he looked way better. He actually got lit up the, the time I saw him uh, very early in the season. He pitched much better after he got his feet wet and even back from injury. But I thought, you know, the ball looked good coming out of his hand. I know that's like the most cliche thing you could possibly say, but just because of his release, like he threw harder than I expected for a guy with like a sidearm slash underarm Darren O'Day type release point. Um, I I'm very intrigued by what he has and he could be this year's Logan Gillespie where it's like, you know, I I don't think he's going to be protected on, I don't think he's going to be placed on the 40 man. I don't, I'm not sure that even is a guy that's eligible for that, but I think he's a guy that the team likes more than the numbers would suggest. And I think also guys on, along those lines are Connor Loprich, who the team stuck with really, you know, is he, is he going to the AFL as well? Connor Loprich? No, he went last year, but he was a guy that they, uh, they stuck with despite the struggles last year and early this year who really turned his season around. And Easton Lucas is another guy that is similar in that regard, who he is going to the AFL. Yeah. And something worth noting here in Nolan Hoffman, um, this doesn't necessarily correlate to the Arizona Fall League, but something worth noting is he has always been a ground ball pitcher. That was true in the Mariners system. He would often post ground ball rates well above 60%. And he did that at Bowie this year, a ground ball rate of just under 65% for them. So Arizona, you know, high altitude, ball travels really well. Ground ball pitcher um, might do well there. 
Yeah, I, I think it's better than a fly ball pitcher. That's for sure. The altitude definitely lets the ball carry a little bit more than you might expect. It's not Aberdeen, that's for sure. But yeah, I think it's it's a good recipe for sure in that league and in, in the major leagues potentially. We'll go down to Nick Ritzman, and this is a name that we have not mentioned a lot on this show this year, and that's because he hasn't been on the mound much. Uh, just 25 innings this season, the bulk of them coming at Aberdeen where he threw 20 and a third frames, and he has a bit of an interesting background. He was originally signed by the Tigers as an undrafted free agent back in July of 2019. He got some time in in 2019, obviously missed the 2020 season because of the pandemic, went out and struggled in 2021 and was released by the Tigers, but was fairly successful with the Orioles this season after they picked him up in May of this year. In those 25 innings between Delmarva and Aberdeen, he struck out 26 batters while walking 11. And in his time at Aberdeen, he struck out 20 batters in 20 and a third innings. So not a name that gets brought up a lot in Orioles pitching prospects, but certainly a guy that had success this year. Yeah, his selection tells me I should have been paying more attention to him than I was because obviously the team sees something if they're sending him out there because it kind of reminds me of Connor Loperich last year where I was like, huh, is this really a guy just looking at the numbers like, I don't know. But then clearly, you know, there's a reason they wanted to see more and they and they stuck with him and he's shown that late this season. And Nick Richmond, maybe that's another guy you know, along the same lines who, you know, we'll look up in August of 2023 and be like, oh, this is an interesting relief arm. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to follow. Definitely the least excited I am about a guy that's going to be there, but that can change quick. I want to get your thoughts on Easton Lucas, and uh, I missed him earlier in that rundown, but Easton Lucas was announced among the Orioles' prospects going to Arizona. Uh, Lucas, for most Orioles fans, is known as the guy that the – Orioles got back in the Zonton VR trade following the 2019 season. This was his longest uh, season in professional baseball, 56 and two-thirds innings this year at AA Bowie, 65 strikeouts, left-handed pitcher, uh, 25 years old. You've had the chance to see Lucas Pitts in person, correct? I have, but not this year. I saw him last year with Aberdeen a couple times. Yeah, it did feel like there was a little bit of a stuff jump this year, whereas last year he looked more like that typical crafty lefty. This year, definitely more effective. Yeah, I think he was like barely touching 85 when I saw him at Aberdeen, and he did get hit around a little bit. It uh, wasn't super impressive in person, but again, glad they stuck with him. He had a stretch in, from July to August where he, he might not have given up a run. I mean, he was really good over those two months and after a slow start, and he did kind of fade a tiny bit in the uh, towards the end of the season, but definitely a guy. If he can pitch well in Arizona, then then I will definitely be interested because I don't know. To me, his stuff screams Cameron Bishop style, like Tanny RA in the AFL. Not because he's a terrible pitcher, ju- just because it's a a bad style matchup in that elevation. But we will see. I've always been interested in him. I think because the Orioles traded for him so quickly after the 2019 draft, he was chosen by the Marlins in the 14th round out of Pepperdine in 2019. And just a few short months later, the Orioles pick him up straight up for Jonathan VR. Now the Jonathan VR trade was a salary dump for all intents and purposes. And for anyone who is still stressing about that trade for any particular reason, I just want to point out to you right now, Jonathan VR hasn't been very good since 2019. He really hasn't, but 
that's aside from the point. But you know, I, I've always looked at that and thought the Orioles clearly saw something. If they had had the opportunity in you know those rounds back then, it was still a forty-round draft. If they had had the opportunity in what were essentially the middle of the draft to have taken Lucas, would they have done so? And the fact that they traded for him so quickly after the draft told me they saw something there that they liked. And just another one of these countless guys that it's like, what would have been if the 2020 minor league season would have happened as normal? Because he's a guy they identified and targeted and got, and then he has to sit on the shelf for 18 months or whatever. So, you know, that's everybody. Obviously, that wasn't just him or just a select group of people. That was every single minor league player. But just interesting to continue to note how that could have affected things. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Lucas had just 34 innings under his belt going into what was supposed to have been the 2020 season, which he probably would have started at Delmarva because he did not get to low A in the Marlins system the summer before. Then he misses a year and has to make the jump from short season ball to high A, which could not have been easy. Yeah, even though Aberdeen is a pitcher's park, it's still a talent jump as we've seen you know, just the difference between Delmarva and Aberdeen as far as, as just pure talent is is definitely notable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, completely agree there. We'll go to Cesar Prieto, uh, one of the Orioles' prize acquisitions on the international free agent market this past offseason. He defected from Cuba in 2021 and agreed to terms with the Orioles early in 2022. And a pretty solid debut for Prieto in 2022. 115 games between Bowie and Aberdeen. He hit 11 home runs, which I think more than we might have expected for him coming into this year because the book was good bat-to-ball skills, not much power. Seven of those home runs came over a small sample size at Aberdeen, so the power clearly dipped when he got to the higher levels. But we did see you know, what has made Prieto successful in Cuba. He can pretty much hit the ball anywhere. He's got good contact skills. He does not strike out very much. Now, the downside of that is he does not walk very often either. Uh, 314 on base percentage this season, low walk rate. Yet, you know, you can pick that apart, but at the end of the day, I think it was still a good debut for him. And I think with his age, he's 23, should be on Norfolk's roster to start next year. It makes perfect sense to send him to Arizona. Yeah, it definitely does. Um yeah, he's got that hit tool is undeniable. He's just got to work on the swing decisions. And you know, now that he's going to have like a year straight with this hitting philosophy and development, that hopefully that will start to sink in a little bit. He needs to add some loft to a swing. So things he needs to work on. At the same time, I think he could be, we were talking about this before the show, he could be a guy that the Orioles look to trade in as part of a package or a deal for a pitcher or some type of upgrade at the major league level. And I think the Arizona Fall League is a great place to show off some skills that maybe, you know, a team that's maybe interested, but they look at his batting line and double A and see, oh, he only batted 255 with a 644 OPS. What is that about? If he can go out there and just show his skills and show off that hit tool, you know, maybe makes him more appetizing for a team like that. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how he does. I think he has a potential to actually show off more of that power in that environment and i i'm really not that down on him even with the uh the line he put up in double a i think he is a a guy that he's going to hit it's just a matter of developing the power and the plate discipline a little bit yeah i agree i'm not really down on prieto either i think he was pretty much as advertised 
um, with what he did offensively. And while I had hopes that that power spike he showed at Aberdeen was going to be sustainable, uh, it's just a reminder that I think sometimes part of that may have been the Prieto was that much further ahead of the high A competition. But then a lot of it too is that power can come in random surges sometimes. We saw this with Ryland Bannon in 2021 was it like 10 home runs in two weeks from Bannon <laughs> never going on a power surge like that before or since. Uh, yeah. So it can happen sometimes, but I, one thing I do want to get your thoughts about is Prieto's defense because he came into the system, I think viewed pretty much as a second baseman. And yet he played far more games at third base this season. And a lot of that is because of the talent that the Orioles have up the middle in their system. So he was going to have to move off of second base sometimes to get at bats. I know you had a chance to see him early this year in Aberdeen. What did you think of the defense? I think the range is – I saw him play shortstop, um, and the range was decent. Um, he could get to the ball. The arm, he was bouncing throws maybe partially in, intentionally because of the new turf, newish turf that they put in Aberdeen, you know – made sense to skip the throw on a one hop, but to me, the arm didn't look great. I, I do think he would be best at second base, but maybe he's more of, you know, the bats to carry and tool and he can just kind of like Taron Vavra with the Orioles. It's like wherever we can fit him in to try to get his bat in the lineup. I'm not so sure that the defense is going to be the con card, but I didn't see enough of him to rule anything out. I think second base would be the position of choice if uh, given the option, but there's a lot of competition for that spot for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We'll move on now to Reed Trimble, who, frankly, I was just happy to see on the field this year. Uh, shoulder injury, shoulder surgery over the offseason. It looks like it could possibly keep him out through the 2022 season. And instead, he came back and actually got a decent amount of time in, 33 games overall, 31 of them coming at Del Marva. And he turned it on offensively, especially over the last couple of weeks there, and finished with a 746 OPS and 117 at-bats with two homers. Trimble is a guy that just needs playing time. He was drafted last year and yet still has just 55 games and 203 professional at-bats under his belt. The injury cut into that time, so Arizona Fall League, I think, makes perfect sense for him, but... I think that this is a player that because of that injury, some Orioles fans may have forgotten that this was seen as a real upside play in the 2021 draft when the Orioles took him out of Southern Mississippi, that this could be a guy that if he put that raw skill set together, could shoot up the prospect rankings. Yeah, and this is going to be a bit of a talent jump for him going from Delmarva to the Arizona Fall League, which is more of like a double-A, triple-A level of competition. But I think it's cool to see, especially I was watching a lot of Delmarva games towards the end of their season just because they had that influx of the draft guys that I wanted to check out. And it was just notable how you could almost see him getting more confident and comfortable as the season wore on there towards the end. And I'm very excited to see what he can do in Arizona coming off of that. Um, you saw the power starting to come through a little bit uh, with the two home runs, first two professional home runs. He's batted 291. He's still young. I mean, he's only 22 years old and because he was a sophomore eligible draftee and, you know, missing time. I'm, I think he's, He's a guy that could definitely sneak up on us as he continues to, you know, battle this outfield depth that the Orioles have developed and 
try to make a name for himself here. But it's just cool to see that he was able to get the time that he was in this year and get some more at-bats along the lines of of Kerstad, where he can set himself up nicely for 2023 to have a full season and really show off what he can do. And what's interesting about Trimble is that coming out of the draft, we had heard about the versatility factor with him. He can move around the outfield a little bit, but he had also played some infield in college, and there was a thought that maybe the Orioles could work him out there. That hasn't happened yet, but in the time that I've seen him play the outfield, which with the injuries and everything else has not been a lot, he's looked pretty good out there. Yeah, I actually really liked the way he looked out in the in the outfield defensively. I think the Orioles have enough infielders. I think just him and John Rhodes, who had some weird playing time in the infield, like keep them in the outfield. You know, if the time comes when you need to find space, maybe you can revisit that. But yeah, I thought he looked good enough out there to at least be like a left fielder. That's for sure. And just as we gear up for the Arizona Fall League, and it's going to be something we talk about in the offseason because we're going to be on every week in the offseason. So just a plug for listeners going to be sticking with us for the next few months. What are you going to be looking for? Because we know that there's a tendency for stats to get skewed out there. It's small sample sizes, a climate that favors hitters. And there were some reports, I know Keith Law mentioned this, and I believe it was mentioned elsewhere, that the implementation of the robo-lump calling balls and strikes created an advantage for hitters because it effectively made the strike zone smaller. And pitchers who had not dealt with an automated strike zone before had a hard time making that adjustment. I don't know yet if that's going to be in play for the Arizona Fall League this year, but it just kind of goes to show you that when you're in that sort of development environment where you can experiment with potential rule changes, it can skew things a little bit. Yeah, and I I think I also heard that the new rules that are starting with MLB next year, the bigger base, the limited shift situation, and the pitch clock, which was already – a universal thing in the minor leagues. I, I believe those are in play here. So be curious to see how that plays out all at the same time. I think a lot of these things were individual when they were being experimented with in the minor leagues. So it'd be interesting to see how they play all together. And I wish these games were more visible, able to watch a little bit more. Like, I don't understand why we can't watch all these games, but that's besides the point. I'll be just, you know, I think a lot of the AFL I've noticed they do have some guys go out there like Long and Hagen and, and, and Keith Law, I guess. Just I want to see what the scouts say because it's going to be really hard to determine just based off of the stats, the numbers, the, you know, the raw data there. It's going to be more like scouts really like this pitch from this pitcher and the scouts really like so. And I don't know. <laughs> I think it's more scout based just because you can't really go off the eye test or the scouting, uh, the stat line in the AFL. That's a great point because we don't get a lot of access to AFL content. Um, We did have a few listeners who went out there last year and tweeted videos at us. So if you are planning to head to Arizona next month uh, while the fall league is going on or in the next couple of months while the fall league is going on, please send us your clips uh, because we will make sure that they are seen. But, you know, you only get a couple of games on MLB network. And so The point you made about the scouts actually reminds me of a very specific example. Eric Longenhagen had nothing but praise for the way that Logan Gillespie pitched in the Arizona Fall League last year and the way his stuff looked. 
his stats did not suggest that at all. Gillespie was hit really hard in Arizona last year. Yet someone like Eric Longenhagen, who knows a lot about prospects and is really wired into what scouts are seeing and what teams are seeing in their models, liked Logan Gillespie. So when you hear that, it's like, okay, no wonder he was you know protected by the Orioles for the 40-man roster spot because clearly a lot of people were impressed by Gillespie, even if the results in those games just weren't there for him. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about because none of the pitchers the Orioles sent last year had any numbers that you would be proud of if it was a normal season. But like you said, there were guys saying like, oh, Gillespie, man, he's really showing this good change up to go with this high heat fastball, plays really well. You know, I could see him. That's when you first heard like maybe he could be protected in, in on the 40-man and that happened to be the case. And same with Vespi. You know, that slider, was it Jonathan Mayo that was like, oh, this guy's definitely getting dra- taken in the Rule 5 draft if he's available. So, yeah, I, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, and that's something we will be getting into a lot here in the next few months as we prepare for the offseason. We're going to go into now our final segment, and this is where we shout out players outside of our top 30 prospect list for something they've done recently, whether it's been a good game, something interesting in their stat line, or Maybe something aside from performance we want to note. And I'll let Bob start with the guy who used to be on our top 30 prospect list. Yeah, I kind of cheated here a little bit with this. I'm going with two different outfielders that we were, you know, a little bit higher on coming into the season than we are maybe right now. But they ended the season on a pretty high note. It's uh, first, Yusniel Diaz. In September, he batted 350 with an 859 OPS, walked 9% of the time, only struck out 13.6% of the time for a 134 WRC plus might be a little too little too late, but we'll see. It'll be interesting to follow his trajectory this offseason. And the other one being Robert Newstrom, who, you know, I think is one of the most disappointing seasons for me personally, just because I really thought he could be a guy that saw major league time this year, even earlier in, in this season. And it just he it never clicked for him. You know, he he just still didn't strike out a ton and walked an okay amount on the season, 7.5% walk rate, 17% strikeout rate. But in September, he did play a little bit better so far. He was batting 293 with an 838 OPS. Didn't really walk much so far in September, but he was hitting for power. He had two home runs in one game and only striking out 16% of the time. So just shout out to those outfielders there who, you know, with that depth coming up and Colton Kowser already up in uh, AAA, Hudson Haskin will be up there next year. It's, uh, you know, clock's ticking a little bit with them. And then for my pitcher, I went with Cole Uvila, who early in the season was like electric. You know, who's this minor league rule five guy that's older? I think he's like 28 years old. And man, he's the closer in Norfolk pitching well. It was between him and Nick Vespi for who was going to get called up to help the bullpen first. And then he kind of slowed down a bit, seemed to be struggling. But ever since July 14th, actually, longer than you might expect, he's batted. He batted. He has a 2.35 ERA over 15.1 innings with 15 strikeouts and five saves. So just wanted to note that he closed the year strong as well. And, you know, he is older, but, you know, he uh, has a chance to help the bullpen next year. I wouldn't be surprised if he saw Major League time next season. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there. I'm going to get into my picks, which are all Aberdeen-based. Uh, I'll start with T.T. Bowen, who unfortunately because of an injury is going to miss the rest of the South Atlantic League Championship Series. But he came through big in Aberdeen's final two games against Brooklyn going combined four for eight 
in those two contests with a long home run on Thursday night that helped lead the Ironbirds to a win that would even up the series and ultimately helped push them to a season or the series victory. And as a reminder, we have not gone back and run the numbers on these, but I have a feeling that if we ran the numbers on the final segment, Bowens would be the guy that has been mentioned the most in the last two years. So I did want to check back in and mention Bowens, 795 OPS, eight homers in a tough home run park, and 109 games for Aberdeen this year. So uh, pretty solid sophomore season for him. And then the other guy is Connor Gillespie, who delivered an excellent relief outing for Aberdeen in that second game against Brooklyn. He came in after Peter Van Loon and delivered four shutout innings, six strikeouts, no walks, just one hit, and a credit to him and Van Loon for holding Brooklyn to just four hits that night and helping to push Aberdeen to even the series and then ultimately the win. So go with those two guys out of Aberdeen. Good choices. Sorry, I was distracted by uh, Gunner absolutely demolishing a run to right center field and admiring it uh, to make it a 3-2 game as we record on Tuesday night against the Tigers. <laughs> well, and hopefully the Orioles can hold on there. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We They need to at least finish 500. I'm hoping we don't collapse here. But let's if we keep our focus on the minor leagues, we will not be too disappointed. Yep, absolutely. And don't forget, Wednesday, October 5th, we will be recapping it all at Full Tilt Brewing. So uh, stay tuned to our Twitter, at BSL on the Verge, for that, as well as more minor league content during the season and in the offseason. And be sure to check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all of your latest coverage on the Orioles, the Ravens, college sports, and more. And be sure to hop on the message board to join the discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.